from him who gives grace to the humble, and from him whose wisdom brings peace. Come all grace, mercy, and God's peace to each of you today. Amen. Well, it was 1980-something when I encountered that great novel from Leo Tolstoy entitled War and Peace. When I encountered all 1,225 pages of it. Yep, it was that great novel that I encountered the night before the report was due. The novel I had all year to get caught up on, but in my own wisdom and understanding, like I had done with all the rest of my reports, I decided, well, I could wait till the night before and get it all done, until I realized just how complex it was. I'm not even going to tell you about the rest of how that went. That book was predicated on on war and peace, obviously, as the title and, and tales, but it wasn't just a physical war. It was also a spiritual war that was raging within people. You know, so you had the physical war with the invasion of the French coming into Russia, and then you had all these other kinds of things that were stirring up in, in people within inside of them, whether it was love interests or rising in the ranks from a peasant to nobility. And you had all kinds of characters that, that range from peasants to nobility. I loved it. Uh, this one quote that came out of this book was from a character named Pierre. And Pierre was traveling, and he was quite perplexed by all the things that were going on around him. He couldn't figure anything out. Every time he thought he had something understood, he came to the realization that he really understood nothing. And Pierre was handed this novel by a steward, and he was reading about all these struggles that were going in with this particular character, which perplexed him even more to the point that he sat down and was staring up at the ceiling on the train one day. And he says to himself, you know, all we can know is that we know nothing. And that's the height of human wisdom. Think about that for a moment. All we can know is that we know nothing, and that's the height of human wisdom. We really do, don't know anything at the end of the day. We think we do. We think we have it all figured out until life throws you another curve and you realize, realize that sometimes our own understanding and wisdom gets in our own way. It causes us more damage than anything else. I oftentimes think that the crux of our struggles and lack of peace is because of our own doing. What we see in the novel War and Peace is not only a nation that's at peril with the invasion of the French, but people from all classes that are struggling to find peace. And that's the one thing they all have in common. Whether they're trying to search for it by remembering the simpler days of their lives or searching for love or something else. And the struggle for peace, my friends, is it's not fiction. It's a reality. It's a common thread that we all have. And you might argue that peace comes with a cost. It was 1970-something when I first encountered the greatest book of all that speaks to war and peace. Only this isn't fiction. This is a living, breathing Word of God. This is the Bible. And you know, I didn't have a test on it like I did on war and peace. Didn't have to give a report on it. Only there is a test, a daily test that the Bible speaks to the struggles that we, we encounter in spiritual warfare with, with Satan attacking us from all sides. I didn't really appreciate it back then like I did that, just as I didn't appreciate the Leo Tolstoy book either. It wasn't until I became older 
a little bit more mature that I've become to understand just how important Scripture is and just how much it really speaks to war and peace. You see, God's people have been attacked time and time again throughout history, engaged both in physical war and spiritual warfare. We know that Jeremiah experienced people warring against him. In fact, most of the prophets in the Old Testament faced danger, even at the hands of their own faith communities. So wars and conflicts don't just arise outside the faith, but even within the faith. James offers us a glimpse today into a community that's lacking peace and experiencing war. And here we have an interaction between people in a faith community. Who knows if they were nobles or peasants or royalty? Does it really matter? (laughs) We do know that whatever they are, whatever class of people they are, that they're dealing with internal strife, spiritual warfare. Now last week, James talked about the tongue and being careful of what and how we communicate. Today, James speaks of understanding and wisdom and understanding wisdom properly. While we can certainly set the world on fire with our tongues and our so-called wisdom and rationale, our so-called wisdom and rationale is the very fuel behind the flamethrower. James asks a very thought-provoking question today. Who is wise and understanding among you? I'm sure that if we didn't give any context to this question, it would probably stir a great debate. Who is wise and understanding among you? We might take that to mean, well, you know, I'm going to associate that with those who have gray hairs on their heads because they're older. Or sometimes we associate those who are wise and understanding with institutional education, as in the degree that one holds. Or maybe even by the experience that one has in a vocation. But what's at the heart of that question? What's at the heart of the wisdom and the understanding? James is asking this question in the context of a faith community that's undergoing the spiritual warfare. In this particular instance, what's at the heart of what their internal struggles are is jealousy, envy, self-ambition. But oftentimes, internal conflicts are very much that, over selfishness, over our own understanding, conceitedness, or general dislike of a person or people. Sometimes it stems from our own apathy, if I may be so bold to say so. We each have our own internal conflicts, struggling between what's right and salutary uh, with godliness and versus what's appealing, but ultimately poisonous in what the world has to offer, what the world wants us to believe. And you know, it's hard to reconcile differences sometimes. In fact, I would argue that apart from God, no matter how hard we try, we're not going to reconcile differences. Too often, we simply make things worse for ourselves. And of course, sometimes in life, things just simply can't be reconciled because we don't have the understanding for it. It reminds me of this old proverb I heard once about a hippopotamus that fell in love with a butterfly. And the hippo went to this oracle one day and and told the oracle his problem. He says, I'm a hippo, and there's this beautiful butterfly that I love, and I don't know how to how to approach it. I don't know how to, how to love the butterfly. And the oracle thought on it for an hour and then summoned the hippo back and said, here's what I want you to do. 
go and become the butterfly. Well, the hippo left deliriously delightful. All I got to do is become a butterfly until he got home and figured out he couldn't sprout wings. He couldn't fly. He couldn't make himself smaller or be a butterfly. So he went back to the oracle and he said to the oracle, I, I, I can't become a butterfly. And the oracle says, well, that's your problem, not mine. I just make policy. I don't enforce it. And the point to all that is, is that there's some differences that will never be reconciled any more than a hippo can become a butterfly. But James tells us that proper wisdom is wisdom, my friends, that comes from above. Wisdom that's pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He speaks to this in deference to differences. That we must rely on God's wisdom and God's understanding and knowledge in order to come to reconciliation and healing. And all these things that James speaks about are the qualities of heavenly wisdom. And that is a wisdom that brings about peace, that seeks to sow peace. How many of you have ever felt robbed of peace and joy in your own lives? Why did you feel that way? How did you come to that conclusion that you just had no joy and peace and couldn't figure out how to get back to it? Maybe it was a quarrel in your household. Or maybe you were bullied or harassed by a, a, you know, a fellow co-worker. Or maybe even a student in school. Maybe you didn't get the grades you hoped for or the job promotion that you really desired or expected. It could be any number of things that seeks to rob us of peace and joy. I'll be honest with you, I've been devoid of joy and peace for quite some time now, up until recently, for a variety of reasons. I was in the middle of this leadership class, and I was reading this book called The Book of Joy, which is about the friendship between the Archbishop Desmond Tutu and uh, the Dalai Lama. And they talk about what robs people of joy and what's at the heart of that. Essentially, the gist of what they're speaking about is envy. Envy and suffering and self-ambition that robs people of joy and peace. And that's what causes all this strife a lot of times between people. And what they identified was that the causes of these things is a societal pattern of how people relate to one another or don't relate to one another. Such as drawing comparisons with people. Especially in a culture like Western society that teaches competition. James asks what causes quarrels and fights among the faith community that he speaks to today and points right to the heart of problems in their community. It's envy. That which they desire but don't have. That which they covet but can't obtain. This is what they're passionate about. And James says that it's all wrong. That they allow these passions to war within them. Those are the ways of the world. Bad wisdom. And this is the same problem that Archbishop uh, Tutu and Dalai Lama were talking about. Only James had this conversation thousands of years earlier. And both the Archbishop and the Dalai Lama both spoke to combating envy. And here's how they said it. You combat it with gratitude. Both in the measure of counting one's blessings and being grateful towards someone who experiences success. And this requires humility. Humility and humbleness. 
And while that's all great what they were talking about, that's more of an emotional response. What James is speaking of is wisdom from heaven that talks about humbleness. But this is an emotional response. This is an action. It requires humility before the Lord. A submission to what Jesus teaches and models. It requires a different mindset. Letting go of our thoughts and our efforts towards control. Relying on God. How hard is that to do? It's service towards others. And it doesn't come by our own volition. It's caused by joy and gratitude that's only found in the Lord Himself. James shares wise words with us today in how to combat envy and selfish ambitions. He says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> yes, return to the Lord. We must. We must all do that. We can't go out and do the works of humble servants without drawing near to God first. It's like being on the airplane and hearing that stewardess always say those things about the oxygen mask, right? You know when the stewardess is up there talking about the seatbelts and the oxygen mask? What does she always say? Put the mask on yourself first before you go help somebody else. You know, this is where I got to recently in returning to joy. I was sitting at, at, at a church one Sunday morning with my family worshiping. It wasn't here, it was somewhere else. And we were out traveling and uh, I sat there and it clicked. I realized that I had to return to the Word of God. That I had to repent of my unwise thinking and lean on my counsel of of dear Christian friends and confess with my tongue to my Lord that my false wisdom and understanding was being a detriment not only to me, but to the people around me. And then it clicked. I finally put my mask on again. It was breathing. It's breathing in the Word of God that was speaking to me and convicting me right here and saying, Raleigh, realize that you know nothing. <laughs> that you can never know nothing on your own understanding. I finally had that peace. I was at ease. And while there's still plenty of warring that goes around me, I had a sense of peace that I hadn't quite had in some time. But you know, peace comes with a cost. And that cost is giving up on being friends with the ways of the world. That cost is spending our time with God in word and sacrament and Christian fellowship. And then, as we come to the Lord, we ask or can be led to ask for the right things like being sent out into the harvest, sowing peace in the fields. And this is a peace that the Lord has won for you and for me. Spending His life modeling God's love and being a humble servant. Laying down His life and taking all God's wrath upon Himself so that you and I can be reconciled. We are saved because of Christ. And out of gratitude then for what Christ has first done for us, we can go out and work joyfully in the world that's warring with itself. And even though we're surrounded by harm and great danger, when we draw near to the Lord and He draws near to us, we experience a peace and an understanding that surpasses all human understanding. Yeah, we kind of constantly live in a tension between war and peace. But what peace are we going to live in? May that peace be the peace of God. And to God be all the glory. Amen.